This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 13th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. Paul Ryan's budget plan is called radical and breathtaking in how it deals with runaway spending in Washington, but in truth, it's a gradual approach. And on the subject of bloated military spending, Paul Ryan has very little to say. Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. For the most part, Mitt Romney's budget plan is just a series of stated preferences about what he would like to happen. With respect to military spending, he's been more specific. He wants more of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul Ryan, in his budget plan, uh, is not quite as striking in terms of those proposals. But how does Paul Ryan's budget plan, the one that he's been pushing for several years, how does that differ from Mitt Romney's stated preference of more military spending? Well, the the short answer is Paul Ryan proposes to spend less than Mitt Romney proposes to spend. So uh, I've just run the numbers on this this morning. Actually, I've been playing around with this for a couple of weeks. And um, I think the gap between what Mitt Romney wants to spend, which is 4% of GDP on the base budget, of course, the cost of the wars would be extra to that, is somewhere between 1.4 and 1.5 trillion dollars in additional spending above the Ryan baseline. The Ryan baseline, that's the budget plan that was passed out of his committee and ultimately passed out of the House but never got a vote in the Senate. That plan is about 489 billion dollars over 10 years over the current baseline. Again, that doesn't include sequestration. So there is it is true uh Congressman Ryan has said that he would like to protect the defense budget from cuts, which basically in his budget means allowing it to grow slightly higher than the rate of inflation and at a level uh, more consistent with where we are right now uh, without the cuts that are envisioned under sequestration. It is slightly more than what the president put on the table earlier this year. Um, But you're right. What's, What's interesting and I think important about Congressman Ryan's proposals are that he has put on the table domestic spending cuts to offset the military spending increases. And so far, Governor Romney has not. He has been far less specific on that point. I think I I am hopeful that this disparity, one of the few clear disagreements, again, these two men don't disagree on so much on on the need to spend more on the military there. They both agree that we should spend more. Most Americans are not so sure about that, but these two men are are fairly clear on this point. They want to spend more. Um, I would hope that having uh, Congressman Ryan on the ticket forces both – forces Governor Romney to address some of these differences. It's also possible that that Congressman Ryan could just come out and say, oh, well, I picked a low number that I thought would generate sufficient support within the caucus to pass the House. I I really wished that I could spend more money, and now I'm with a guy who wants to spend more money. That may be. But again, he he then, being a serious budget person and understanding the details, um, he is in a stronger position to answer the question, what else will be cut, what taxes, if any, will be increased. Again, some Republicans are talking about tax increases to fend off sequestration. Um, So far, uh, to my knowledge, Congressman Ryan has not endorsed that. So there are a number of unanswered questions surrounding this one very important policy issue. How much credibility, given recent evidence, does Congress have to cut military spending at all. We've seen this huge fight over sequestration. 
play out. Uh, Paul Ryan has a 40-year plan to reduce entitlement spending. Uh, Rand Paul would make some significant cuts to military spending. It seems like it's pretty hard to get one without the other, given the uh, ideological split in Congress. I, I do think it's a political question and not so much an economic or a fiscal question. I think that it is possible to uh, fund additional military spending through some combination of tax increases or spending cuts elsewhere. But, but finding those cuts and being able to pass those cuts out of Congress is very difficult. And obviously a number of Republicans have committed and remain committed not to increasing taxes and revenues. So uh, I think that you, know, you, you can put a, a, a serious plan on the table, as you say, Senator Paul has and a, and a few others have, have put a serious plan on the table that actually re, you know, shows what the trade-offs are. Um, so far, however, those plans have not you know, garnered sufficient support, votes, to actually become policy. Paul Ryan has a reputation for being a serious budget hawk, but of course he's wants to protect the military from spending cuts. In fact, it increases in real terms under his plan. Does he defend or does he make a defense of the dramatic spending increase in uh, military spending that's occurred over the past decade? I don't know. I mean, he does defend it. He says that uh, defense is, you know, the most important obligation of government and therefore, you know, defense should not be cut more than it already has. And again, he kind of I think he kind of betrays a bit his reputation as being a truth teller and a fiscal hawk to buy into the the fiction that military spending has been dramatically cut. It has not been. Again, this is Washington speak, cutting against the baseline. Congressman Ryan certainly should know better, certainly does know better. Uh, again, as I've said before, th there is a, a credible argument to be made by conservatives and, and those in the Republican Party who argue that defense is a core function of government and should not be treated on the same level as farm subsidies or health care or, or, you know, name another program that Republicans don't like very much. But the fact is that, that so much of our military spending is not dedicated to the defense of the United States, but rather to the defense of other countries. And that really begs the question, why do we act as though other countries are not primarily responsible for their own defense or should not be responsible for their own defense? For all Republicans talk about breeding dependency here at home, which I think there's, again, a lot of evidence to support that argument, we are in fact creating dependency uh, abroad by by sheltering our allies from threats that they should and are certainly capable of dealing with on their own. And, and we are seeing the effect of that, which is they're continuing to underspend or even in some case, cases cut. Uh, and the expectation on their part uh, is that we'll just continue to make up the difference and we'll continue to shelter them indefinitely. Um, I've never understood this disconnect between you know, an understanding about how incentives work in a domestic uh, political economy, but don't understand how it works in the international system. Um, I know there are some of us who are paying very close attention to that. But for the most part, with a few exceptions, most Republicans have bought in to the argument that the purpose of the U.S. military is to defend everyone from everything, uh, not primarily to defend the United States from a small and manageable uh, set of threats. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.